The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now we have a well-known exploration company with us today. It's Red Metal, goes under the code RDM, trading at around 18 cents for a market cap of $54 million. And followers of the stock will be well aware that it's had a, a real kick in the last month or so, which is not a bad effort in this, uh, what is otherwise pretty gloomy market for exploration stocks. Now, as I said, it's well known, and over the years, uh, there's been a, a copper and gold and lead zinc, uh, frontier sort of stuff, looking for the next big one, not the, the next small one. But in the meantime, last year, in August, they uh, came up with uh, what could potentially be a world first in the rare earth space. And we have Robert Rutherford to bring us up to speed on just what they have found at Sabella. It's uh, the name of this rare earth project. It's only about 20 clicks from Mount Isa. So needless to say, plenty of infrastructure when this uh, Sabella proves up into uh, something that's mineable. So to bring us up to speed, Robert, tell us about Sabella. Thanks, Barry. Um, well, Barry, as you know, there's, in, there's sort of two types of rare earth deposits emerging in, in Australia at the moment. There's the high temperature complex ones, which are associated with leaching monazites, and they're the high capex ones. And then there's these low-temperature leachable systems, which are the clay-hosted stuff. But Sabella, that's, it's something different. It's granite-hosted, but it's one of these low-temperature leachable systems as it's turning out. So we uh, had the concept many years ago, and we went out there actually looking for clay-hosted deposits, and we went out there and found this uh, granite. Uh, it's 12 kilometres long, 3 k's wide, that's uh, got this uh, soluble rare-earth mineral in it, and it's hosted in a, a, a granite Batholith. and uh, yeah, it, the granite itself is a low acid consuming host rock and you've got a soluble rare earth mineral. So those two factors together smell of a tier one to me. So that's mm. basic geology. Okay. So similar in many ways to clay hosted deposits, but obviously without the clay content. That's right. And I think, you know, that, that uh, allows us to potentially uh, stack it and make do heap leach processing on this thing um, rather than tank leach and also we don't have the potential filtration and handling issues that come with clay ore. Um, there's a there's a lovely weathered profile that sits on top that's about 20 meters so we we think the first uh, 20 meters is going to be reasonably soft granite but it's not the deeply weathered lateritic clays like you get in western australia or, or say in brazil um, it's just basically broken weathered granite for the top 20 metres and then fresh granite. And to the advantage really is that we can, uh, we're seeing the same leach properties in the um, fresh material from surface and we're seeing the same leach properties in the, um, um, in the fresh stuff and also in the weathered stuff. So we, um, we don't see any supergene enrichment or depletion like you often get in these clay systems, which are often blanket-type deposits. 
this is uh, going to, we were drilled it to 120 metres in the fence drilling that we did, and it's still there. So, yeah, vast tonnage potential in this thing. And uh, we've only put one or two lines in it, and I guess that's, uh, we've done the metallurgy and that we put that out 10 days ago, and that's really created interest in our stock. Yeah, because you can have all the tonnes in the world, but if it's not leachable, um, why bother? So that's... That's right, and we, we chose to, to let's let's prove that we can get this stuff out potentially economically, and and uh, I guess that's the breakthrough for us is that hey, my, this is uh, this stuff's heat leachable, my God. So um, yeah, it was an eye opener for us when we did it. And you mentioned those heat leach, uh, oh, well, sorry, the leach results the other day, um, and I was just wondering, very impressive, and uh, when you stack it up against what. Uh, Companies uh, on the ASX that are kicking goals in Brazil are doing with their ionic clays. But I was just wondering, was the were those leach results representative of the you know that oxide zone you were talking about and fresh granite? Was it a full suite that were that were subjected to the leach test? Yeah, so we did leaching on the through the whole profile through the top uh, from from surface down through the fresh into the fresh. So those. They return pretty much the same results on the boundary fence east traverse section of the traverse. That's where we got the best results, and that's about a kilometre wide. Um, they were the same result in the fresh and the weathered. So yeah, the, our results are those averages that we're suggesting there from surf, from the from down to about thirty five metres. Okay, now the. My ears pricked when I saw the boundary fence east, boundary fence west sort of references. Uh, and you mentioned it's 12 kilometres long by three kilometres wide. Did you have full coverage of this uh, ground? Yeah. Yep. We've pretty well got, I'd say, about 90, 90, 95% of the, of the granite itself. A few little daggy bits around the edges that um, we don't. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's pretty much 100% now ground. Right. And... Has it ever been the subject of rare earths exploration before? No, it's we uh, not at all. So we we came across this uh, when we were looking for rare earth granite hosted systems uh, for clay hosted systems back about ten or twelve years ago, actually. But uh, where the way we found it really there was a, there was a Geoscience Australia did a a um, seismic traverse across that part of Queensland one of these deep crustal surveys. And at the bottom of every blast hole, they assayed the geochemistry and uh, one of the assays they did was neodymium. So when we searched through looking all over Australia for these things back then, this one stood out as super anomalous. And we, it was in our patch where we do a lot of work, so it was very easy for us to go out there and have a look at it. And uh, when we got there, we didn't have the big clay weathering profiles like you see. Uh, but we did have weathered granite, and we took some fresh from granite and weathered granite, and just did some um, mineralogical work on it, and some and a leach test with Anstow, and we got it got a fair bit of it out. And we thought, oh, that's interesting. So um, yeah, where our prices dipped, we went away, came back again two years ago, and finally picked up where we left off. So um, yeah, we're we're starting to drill it now, which is. Um, yeah, like I said, we got the first drill holes into it. We did first drill traverse in in results in August, and we just done the first proof of concept leach test ten days ago, whenever it was. And um, yeah, it's all sticking together. Okay, so obviously it will have the same sort of um, operating capital cost benefits that the ionic clays do, low compared to hard rock uh, rare earth operations. Yeah, it's um, 
you know, the capex on some of these hard rock, the monazite processing systems is, is you know, one and a half billion plus, yeah. plus, you know. Yeah. So much so that the Australian taxpayer has to help out. Exactly. So I kind of wonder if, if it was a free market that and the Chinese guys weren't threatening us all the time with their uh, oversupplies and, you know, whatever they do. They, uh, yeah, you wonder whether those things would get up. But who knows? Um, the, but what it... I guess what this this has done is enabled uh, a lot of explorers to go out there, start and look for alternative sources of rare earths, and people are finding these clay ones similar to what was mined in China. And I guess that's yeah. where this one, this is another a variant of those low temperatures at leachable systems, and uh, we think it's actually probably better than the clay systems. Yeah. And when we're talking about leaching, um when you think about uranium and copper, there's plenty of examples of mineralisation in granites being leached out in leachable leach operations. So you wouldn't be necessarily invent, uh, reinventing the wheel here. No, no. There's vast. Um, I worked for Phelps Dodge for many years, and that is one of the one of their flagship deposits is the Morency deposit, and that's a that's an acid soluble copper mineral in a low acid consuming porphyry granite rock. And they mine, I think from memory, it was about 0.2% copper in huge dump heat leach systems. And um, it's a gigantic tier one asset, produces, I think it was 800,000 tonne a year copper from one mine. So they're huge scale systems, and I think it's really hard for people to get their heads around them. Uh, the other one in the uranium space, there's... Uh, there's um, uh, Rossing uranium mines been going for years. It's a acid soluble uranium mineral in a weak acid consuming granite host rock, and again, it's a very low cost producer. Mines very very low grades, and um, it's a tier one uranium deposit. So we think we've got the equivalent, but in the rare earth space, we've got a soluble rare earth mineral in a uh, low acid consuming granite rock. Tick tick. And in a great location. In a great location, yep. So you know, there's this. You've got the location from the infrastructure point of view. Mount Isa recently, uh, oh, I think, um, Extrata or Glencore recently, flagged, yeah, recently flagged that they were going to. They've got two or three years left in the copper deposit, and that's it. Uh, so the town is really um, looking for some new opportunity, and we really think uh, it's sort of timely that we've come up with this one because I. Queensland government's very much behind strategic metals and so close to Mount Isa that they're, they're putting out grants to to um, help uh, generate new resources around Mount Isa and, and we're hoping that this might qualify something like that. So we're kind of looking at it, alternative funding sources other than just the market. Yeah. And the actual uh, land it's on, what is it, a pastoral lease? Or? Yeah, it's on a couple of pastoral leases and, um, yeah, they're, they're, um, it's sort of a just behind Mount Isa, almost in, in within the shadow of the smelter, really. Man, uh, crazy. Not, not quite flat country, not not very rugged. Um, it's ideally suited for doing uh, heap leach work on. And you have the uh, requisite um, agreement with the Calcadoon? Yes, yeah, the Calcadoon. We've worked with them for many, many years, so we've got a, a good relationship with those guys. Um, so we're in, we're, um, we've had them out there doing the heritage work and uh, we expect to get them out again when we start doing some more work. So... Yeah, good on that front. And just flipping back to uh, Glencore's plans for Mount Isa, let's not say someone else might come in and keep the show going on the copper front anyway. Does it does that 
have implications for the acid you might need down the road? Yeah, I think the acid will will. We haven't really dug deeply into seeing where how we source all the acid, but I think most of the acid coming out of that smelt at that acid plant in Mount Isa actually goes for the phosphate at Duchess. Um, so I think I don't think we can rely on that as a potential source now. Um, we've got a rail that goes straight out to Mount Isa. They can rail out that asset, I'm assuming. Um, ultimately, I suspect this this project will establish its own asset plant once it's up and running and it's paid its capital off. Um, so, yeah, we haven't dug into that detail. I think um, acid is becoming more of a more of an issue out in the in the in the mining areas of Australia for sure because people are using it for processing a lot of these um, critical metals. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But as you mentioned, you've got the rail line to uh, the coast there. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a few options that we haven't even considered that, but we don't see it as a showstopper. Mm. Okay, so where are you at now? What's the forward program with this one? Just in December, we drilled a couple of diamond holes, one particularly into that Boundary Fest East part of the section where we got some of the metal leach results. Uh, that is, we're doing um, combination tests on that, so grinding hardness, get an idea of how how, how simple and soft it will be to crush up. And then uh, we're doing size fraction leach tests with bottle rolls. And again, that, that simulates a lot better the kind of rock that we'll get when we crush it. And we're doing, you know, different size fractions, so maybe 5 or 10 mil crushes, and then leaching that and giving it more resonance time so um, what we found with that leach work was that if we leached it from 48 hours to 96 hours, we got incredible you know, 25% increase in, um, in, in rare earth extraction with very little change in the, the aluminium and iron, the, the impurity extraction. So what we're thinking is we can potentially, and, and a typical heat uh, bottle roll leach test normally runs for 14 to 28 days, and we only did it for... 96 hours so we're thinking with, with this um communication with this uh, this uh bottle roll technique we're using the core samples we're going to run them for the extended period and then try and work out optimize the ph optimize the leach time uh yeah op- optimize the um yeah the grind size so hopefully at the end of that work we'll have enough information to be able to do a scoping type work yeah and in terms of the test work you had to push aside the brazilian boys to get into anster did you uh well we uh, did our work at core um metallurgical group they're a hydro metallurgical specialist in um in um queensland uh that they, they um, yeah well-known name well-known name um we, we're also doing some work we also did some work with with anster on this and the the Again, we've we've got them doing check samples on the stuff that we've that has come out of um, has come out of this work. So yeah, we're still got, we're, we're working with them both. Mm. And one question I should have asked earlier: you say your your lights and heavies are in the right sort of percentages? Yeah, yeah. I think if it's I haven't done the percentage exactly, but it, it, you can see in some of the tables we put out there, we've actually got more heavies than um, than most of the uh, clay deposits. So. Um, yeah, that that ratio is fine, and we really only count neodymium, praseodymium in the lights, and dysterbium and dysprosium in the heavies. We pick up lanthium, cerium, and all the other bits and pieces as we go. But um, you know, we're we're basically getting 
just using those four elements, we're getting about 300, and I think it was 354 grams per tonne neodymium extracted. Uh, meteoric is getting around 425 uh, grams per tonne extracted neodymium equivalent. So, yeah, we're, we're up there with them. And in those tables we put out, you can see how some of the others are performing in terms of their leach results. So. Hmm. Well, you mentioned meteoric. Um, I think the market cap's 450 mil. 450 million, something like that. You guys are back at 54. How do we... Uh... I think you can do the maths, Barry. I don't know if that's basic stuff, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> the, well, when you look at uh, where you're at at the moment, I, I guess one of the staging posts to uh, uh, getting the market to uh, properly value um, is uh, perhaps issuing an expiration target. Would that be part of the plan? Oh, no, I think we're going to sort of step out on 800 by 800 metre Mm-hmm. Uh, space drilling um, I think that will start off and but within that we'll work out where the best the lowest acid consumption is the lowest iron and aluminium release anyway so that'll that'll we can scope out an inferred resource on that which will go forever um, I'd say that, but realistically we we probably want to be able to then take out a um, get, get put an indicated resource out on something that we drill uh, a lot closer around probably around that boundary fence east area we'd probably drill out on 200 by 200 and it's it's really not that expensive you know I've, there's about six six or seven thousand meters of rc drilling to do 12 by 3ks on that wide spacing and then um probably about another six thousand meters of drilling to do an infill over a, a key area maybe on a sort of five by three by three by one or something something you know that sort of spacing three by one k we don't see it. The cost is, is kind of insignificant to what we normally put into diamond holes. Look at the big targets; like we forget how cheap our seed is. So um, yeah, no, we it's um, it's we we'll put out. We'll probably just go straight to straight. I imagine we'll just go straight to indicated. We might put out a global resource, but to me, they're somewhat meaningless if they don't have metallurgy attached to them. Yeah, so sort out the metallurgy first. Yeah, okay. All right, so certainly, um, well, to quote you, the smell of a tier one project on your hands. And when just harking back to that market cap, 54 million, you do have a 52% interest in a uh, copper, gold, silver, lead um, spin off back in uh, 2022 uh, with the code MMA. Uh, Mar- I always have Maronin. Maronin. Yeah. I knew I'd get yeah. it wrong. Maronin. the Queensland accent and drag it out. Yes. <laughs> Maronin. Code is MMA. And you've got uh, 52% of it and its market cap's 37 mil. Um, just a little update on there. Yeah. Well, so the, we've been aggressively drilling there, about sixteen, seventeen thousand 17,000 metres of diamond drilling since we listed um, a year and a bit ago. Uh, that's been spectacular silver lead intercepts, some wide copper gold intercepts so we're pulling all that data together at the moment um and and really trying to focus on a, a shallow starter zone where we think we can get get stuck into it early and some of this drilling that we did really was impressive because we it sort of showed us this rather wide high grade sort of lead silver mineralization coming to within about 100 meters of surface so it gives us something where we can put a decline into and get going and we know we've got large resources inferred underneath this deposit. We just haven't got the time and the money to infill drill them to up to indicate it. 
because but this um, so so we're sort of focused our effort on this shallow star design. So we're we're trying to pull that together at the moment, uh, work out a bit of a whether we can get some of that into indicated, and then put these sort of new geological model into the into a mine mine model and, and work out um, you know where where this thing whether where where we have to focus our efforts with the next lot of infill drilling and bring it along. So yeah, it's it's. It, the infield drilling has really been fantastic because it's highlighted these thick shoots, thick plunging shoots, which we were sort of missing. Our, wide, our original drilling was on 200 by 200 metres and infilling it to sort of locally to 100 and sometimes to 50, we're getting starting to map out these really thick, steep plunging shoots of thick and high-grade silver and lead and we were sort of dancing around it with the wide space drilling. So, yeah, it's been quite beneficial for, to really highlight the potential of this thing. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, it's probably you know in silver equivalent. If you wanted to put it in that, I think you're tipping talking around three hundred silver equivalent numbers for some of that shallow stuff, and uh, that's that's equivalent of ten ounces of silver, uh, roughly. So it's a kind of um, you know, it, it's I don't I don't think it's going to be. I think I don't think it's going to be too challenging to get some. You know, once you get into mining it, it's, the continuity is spectacular. The um, it's a sedimentary style deposit, so it actually has really good lateral and vertical continuity. Unlike some of the more structural control type systems that are out and about, um, this thing's um, continuity, softness of the ore, the, the recoveries on it are fantastic. You know, Ninety six percent just jumps out. So, yeah, it's 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 ticking all the boxes, and yeah, we just got to keep trying to advance it right. so resource updates in the in the works and a pfs a preliminary feasibility study yeah look i think the resource updates are something we're sort of working on and then we'll try and do it. i don't think we're at pfs stage i think that the, the category just getting it into the indicated category because of the wide nature wide spacing of the drilling um so with that is that that is where we're we're just trying to work out where we can quickly get get some indicated stuff and see if we can get the first five or six, seven years into um, a positive, you know, if you can get the first five years of payback, uh, you know, or the, the whole project into payback, um, then you've really got an opportunity to mine there for, for another 15 or 20 years because it's, it's a lot of sources underneath it. So, Plus the copper's there's a significant copper resource there which you would get while you're down there. Right. Okay. Now let's swing over to the west, up into the Patterson province, where we're Winu and Haveron. Uh, discoveries in recent years have excited people, and of course we've got the Telfer um, gold copper mine still chugging along there, now owned by Newmont. You've got Yarry. Tell us about Yarry. What's happening there? So uh, we're there's a. As you know, Habron and, and we know are these little discrete bullseye magnetic targets, and that, that seems to reflect the pyrotite in the ore environment. And we've got a along the same structural corridor that has Havron and Winu along it, we have a, two very distinctive uh, bullseye magnetic anomalies. One of them's over one and a half to two kilometres long, and the other one's probably about a kilometre, um, sitting along the same structural corridor. Uh, so they're, they're pretty obvious targets to walk up and drill. 
and um, we've done the heritage surveying last year, which is, was was no, it was a pretty big effort. It was chopper supported, uh, and now we're out um, hoping to get onto that probably May June if everything goes to plan. Yeah, so they'll be um, yeah. It's a, it's a system because they can potentially offer quite copper rich systems. There's a lot of gold rich systems out there, so the copper to gold, yeah, it's quite a lot of um, lot of gold with the copper. So you know, if you if you do, there's nothing to say you won't find a big one percent copper system there that's going you know one or two three grams gold. So that's the that's the holy grail in the Patterson is a big one, high grade. Yeah, the Wanu itself is interesting. Uh, people think of it as a copper discovery, but you look at the gold ounces, it's uh, the biggest gold discovery um, in recent times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge, huge, extensive gold system and uh, it, it throws out a bit of a copper credit, I think is the best way to think of it. And I think the the uh, Haverabron one is somewhat similar. It's there's some you know there's some really nice wide zones of 0.8 percent copper, but that goes about point you know, sort of ones and two grams of gold, three grams of gold with that sort of stuff. So yeah, they're um, maybe too much gold for the Rio Tinto, but um, plenty for the gold companies probably. Alrighty, Rob. Unfortunately, we've uh, run out of time, but there you go, folks. So almost a, a three steak knife uh, story there with the. Uh... What's looking like a world-class uh, rare earth discovery in the shadows of the uh, Mount Isa and uh, exploration afoot in the Patterson, which uh, could be uh, exciting in itself. And, of course, the um, the work by Merit... I still can't pronounce that name. Moronin. 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 <laughs> Some Scottish castle, I think. Okay. Originally. You learn something every day. Uh, it's the name of the station, but... It, mm. And the Moronin uh, interest, of course, is held through 52% interest in the ASX-listed now um, um, company. So lots to look out for in 24. So, Rob, thanks for your time today. Good luck with it all. Be watching with interest. Thanks, Barry, and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, listening through your podcasts. Yeah.